0: You want to count us
1: yep here we go three two one hello, hello. This is, this is it. This is the real one. This is the first real
0: episode. Yeah, I know the last week was a, was an easy intro episode. This is the one where
1: people will judge us upon. It, it is, but you're also like, I kind of want to get out of my little booth now. You're making me nervous. (laughs) Here we go. So this is our first full episode. And uh, we have to, as you mentioned, like that first episode, that was like our little intro. And um, now we got to pull out all the stops. So let's get into it. Chapter one, the origin story. How did we get into this thread of work? So that's a good question, Dan. How did we get into this thread of
0: work? We really started our economic vulnerability work about four years ago. Uh, with the First Reformed Church of New Brunswick in participation of the Men's Rotating Shelter. It's sort of an affiliation, a coalition of different faith-based organizations in New Brunswick. Uh, We're working with FRC to um, provide volunteers for this uh, temporary shelter. They asked us to also participate in an arts-based event um, in the spring uh, that year. And what we had suggested is that we focused the creative work on storytelling around this shared advocacy. Uh, and since then, we've just been building on the ways in which we represent not only homeless individuals, but those who fall through the cracks within our economic um, our, our economic system here in Central Jersey specifically. And we created a performance where um, Ben, as the music director, uh, facilitated his choir uh, to perform songs that spoke to the human condition. Uh, And we started working with a young poet named Audrey Rose uh, to start developing uh, choreo poems. Uh, I think we did two with her that we presented with First Reformed Church over those two couple of years. And stories of uh, economic justice have become a pillar of our our, uh, uh, creatively informed work. Uh, The first voice we're going to hear from today is Catherine Verducci. Uh, She was interviewed by Debbie Gallant, a member of our journalist team. Uh, And Catherine's experience uh, is very uh, unique, specific to herself, but she's part of this uh, larger community of people that we'll talk about in a bit.
2: I was in the shelter for the full span of uh, six months, and then they moved me into a hotel because at that point was when my gallbladder exploded. So... I was in the hospital and coming back because I needed a sterilized place, they they placed me in a um a hotel. They did give me medical. That's one of the biggest things like people say, "Oh, it's it's the best." You know what I'm saying? Like if you don't have your medical, you're in, you're in trouble. Right now I'm on uh disability, you know, I have a card from not Medicare, is it? Medicaid. There's there's two different ones. The one that uh, The one, though, is really bad. The one I had before with the New Jersey State Care, I had Horizon. They were the best. The insurance that they gave me now, it's really bad because I guess they figure, well, okay, now you're getting your disability checks. You know, like they take 200 and some dollars from that for my insurance. But I still have to pay, though, now my medication. And I do have a very big payment when I see the doctor so my check that I get if I do buy all my meds half of it goes there that's that's the problem some of my medication is like a hundred and some dollars each pill so it's like now you sit back and go okay am I paying the rent this month or am I getting my pills you know um is he going to get a pair of shoes this month or you know should I have to wait six more months but they act like you know it's the best. And, and I, I asked them, I said, why did you take away my insurance that I had and give me this? You know, because this is really bad insurance. But they said, well, you know what, you're, you know, disabled. So this is what you're going to get. And I was like, that's really bad.
0: So I just wanted to share, uh, I was actually on the same state insurance program until about a year and a half ago that Catherine talks about, um, because I hadn't been making enough money uh, trying to build an income for myself. Uh, John, for you through CoLab. And I appreciate uh, you for it. <laughs> but, but also just trying to build um, my own production business. And uh, essentially, when you make no money in the state of New Jersey, they provide you, um, they provide you state insurance. Um, and I was lucky enough to get that program through the Affordable Care Act. And I still continue to get my own insurance now through the Affordable Care Act um although and it's reduced cost i believe but um but it's a little bit more than than paying nothing and i think Um, i
1: think that kind of also speaks to that that what you were kind of leaning into before is is there's that weird in between space um and and there's that weird in between space and especially the way systems are set up it's like when you make a little bit too much money to qualify for a benefit but you don't quite make enough money to actually live. Um, uh, it
0: sounds like we if someone had this idea for universal health care that might benefit a whole bunch of people.
1: This but... is not a political podcast, Dan. <laughs> we'll cut that. It's down. not a political podcast. <laughs> However, we could probably advocate for the benefit of it. <laughs> I mean, I could advocate for it for the benefit of that in my own personal life right? Especially for freelancers. Yeah. It's incredibly hard if you don't have employer, employer-provided employer health insurance.
0: Uh, I wanted to share quickly uh, with what we're doing with CoLab Arts is we're working with researchers, experts in the respective fields to actually provide uh, research annotations uh, for these anecdotal experiences. Uh, we were really lucky for work with Brandon McCoy from New Jersey Policy Perspective, uh, and he references um, that the cost of medication in New Jersey is is very much a, uh, a top of mind uh, experience. And at the time of the annotation, there was a comprehensive state legislation uh, introduced by State Senator Troy Singleton that would not only require that the state monitor and make prescription drug prices more transparent, but it would place caps on the cost of prescription drugs that have otherwise increased at unacceptable rates.
1: So I feel like that's a pretty good actually segue into um, what I am calling chapter two, which is uh, all about the advocates or uh, other experts and organizations that we partner with on all of these projects. Because, I mean, here is the, the obvious blunt statement. You and I are not experts in Really, any of these specific fields that we're discussing were, I would say, pretty pretty close to being experts in the terms of socially engaged art making and, and producing. But we rely pretty heavily on other individuals who come to each project with a very specific expertise and knowledge and, and in a lot of ways give us the research and the information and help us... Um, uh, kind of define the stories that need to be part of each project. Um, so here's my first question. Um, I hear you talk about 37 Voices. Who are, I mean, that's a specific project. Um, who are the advocates or the expert organizations that we rely on for that, for that project?
0: Uh, we worked uh, primarily with United Way of Northern New Jersey. Uh, and Free Press uh, and United Way, uh, they they have a national project called the Alice Project, uh, asset limited, income constrained, employed, and references. Like I said earlier, individuals who uh, live paycheck to paycheck but still don't qualify for um, for benefits as as defined by the federal poverty threshold. And the way they develop this understanding of who are these individuals is they actually have crafted. Uh, This idea of a survival budget. And uh, they do this report now for 21 states and they craft it based on the uh, actual quality of life uh, uh, expenses uh, for each of those locations. Uh, New Jersey has been the one they've been producing it for for the longest. And we get the name 37 voices from the fact that when we started this project, 37 percent of the state of New Jersey lived within this Alice threshold. Since then, uh, in June 2019, the United Way published a new report uh, that 38.5 percent live in that threshold. And as of a month ago, I'm sure that number has going to be has changed uh, yet again. Uh, we'll we'll be finding out those new numbers sometime later this year. Are you telling me that
1: more than a third of New Jerseyans live within this poverty threshold?
0: Uh, that's absolutely right. United Way of Northern New Jersey uh, is, pr- is putting together this ALICE Recovery Fund, uh, and they're actually offering it beyond their normal impact area and extending it to most of Northern New Jersey. Uh, and it's no strings attached for those who qualify. Uh, and the income threshold references the ALICE survival budget. Uh, and uh, John, for me, it's been kind of eye-opening uh, to hear the numbers associated with what a survival budget actually is. So just for some quick context uh, and from what uh, Carol shared with me, a single adult without dependents qualifies uh, for the recovery fund with an income of $35,560 a year, uh, whereas a single adult with two or more dependents is $88,128. And then two adults with two or more dependents is a com- uh, in a combined income Of one hundred three thousand eight hundred thirty six dollars qualifies, and that's sort of really mind boggling when, when you think about the numbers we typically associate with poverty and what it means to struggle. This feels like it feels um, uh, bountiful, but uh, according to the United Way's research, that is actually a very hard place to be. To get a bit more context on uh, how the pandemic is directly impacting Alice families, I also had a chance to speak with Stephanie Hoops. And I asked Stephanie, uh, what are some of the impacts that Alice may be experiencing right now? And uh, she gave me a breakout of three specific groups, uh, essential workers, non-essential workers, families where someone has gotten sick. And for essential workers like medical professionals, transit workers, grocery store clerks, uh, what she indicated is that new re- new routines are required to, to keep family members safe, uh, which also implies added costs.
3: The second group, the non-essential workers, are those folks who got laid off in week one, week two, week three, so that now we have 22 million people filing for unemployment in the U.S. So on an annualized rate, that would be about 18 percent, which is approaching the 25% unemployment rate for the Great Depression. And for the nine years around the Great Depression, it was just above 15%. So we're looking at a magnitude here and a duration that we haven't seen in almost a century. And yet, looking back on that, we know how long it takes to recover. But immediately, these folks were impacted. And so, Today, many workers that were laid off immediately are hourly paid workers. So they stopped getting paid the last hour that they worked. So the first month, they might have been short two weeks of wages. The next month, no wages. And yet they still need to pay their rent, your utility bills, all their basic food expenses. It's really difficult for these families.
0: And for those who are themselves or who have family members impacted by COVID-19, the biggest impact are all of the costs related to healthcare. Uh, And my second question for uh, Stephanie was whether or not we may be seeing an increase uh, in the prevalence of Alice families. And keeping in mind that as per the New Jersey state report that came out in the spring of 2019, 38.5% of New Jersey families already fall within the Alice threshold.
3: With the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic, we are likely to see more ALICE households. There are two groups that I would identify. The first are those just on the verge of the ALICE threshold. Families earning just a few thousand dollars above that household survival budget are susceptible to becoming ALICE. And that's about 10% of households in most states. And so as hours are cut and jobs are cut, these families are very susceptible to becoming Alice. The second group are those earning well above the Alice threshold only a few months ago. But as we've seen with this latest round of unemployment, that many higher wage jobs and salary jobs are being cut as well. And these folks are now susceptible to becoming Alice households. Um, They'll start to eat through their savings. And if they have trouble finding a new job; they also will become susceptible to becoming Alice.
1: Um, so, just quickly, we've talked a lot about the Alice report and uh, about United Way. I was curious if you, uh, what was the importance of partnering with a, a, um, a journalism nonprofit?
0: The project uh, started um, as a response to a failure in the media to properly cover poverty in the 2016 election cycle. Um, Mike Raspoli, he and I were teaching um, together uh, in a class at School of Communications at Rutgers um, facilitated by Professor Todd Wolfson. Uh, He looks at how media makers and journalists can participate in social movements and and, uh, uh, change-making. And uh, Mike's idea was to uh, use the Alice Report as a basis for setting uh, interview goals, uh, and the idea being you consider solutions-oriented journalism rather than focusing on headline-grabbing. I'm sorry, I pull grabbing headlines. Uh, instead, focus on journalism that actually talks about how to solve uh, endemic issues. Uh, and so the project was really cool in class, and so I asked him to consider pushing it a little bit further and actually looking to work with professional journalists and how to potentially connect it to art making uh, and how do we use creative engagement to synthesize those stories. And so we put together a journalism team of six uh, journalists here in New Jersey, all varying experiences, backgrounds, and sort of set them to um, uh, pound the pavement, but then also work with like 40 nonprofits we had connected with in identifying 37 individuals to reflect the 37 percent statistic uh, from the Alice report,
1: so I feel like that's a great segue into Chapter Three, the community stories. Who are the the people that that said yes to talking to the journalists from Free Press?
0: You know, it's it's in order to answer that question, I think we have to start with the people that wouldn't. Mm. Um, so I, I mentioned that we had about 40 organizations partnering with us. And the reality was that this isn't inter- a terribly hard uh, question to ask of folks. Will you talk about why you are poor?
1: Well, I mean, we can imagine why, right? I mean, we, it's like imagine, imagine someone coming up to you and saying, hey, can you give me as much detailed information about one of the most vulnerable aspects of your life?
0: For individuals who have jobs, who um, are leaders in their community, it's really hard uh, to admit that. There's an element of shame. There's an element of uh, of hope that you're going to move past this relatively quickly. We had to rely upon uh, really strong relationships between service providers and individuals to be able to connect us with the individuals who ultimately spoke to us about this. Um, I I believe our journalists said this might have been the hardest beat they've ever had to cover. Uh, Newest Americans, who is a a, a really strong um, photo magazine out of Rutgers, Newark, they were commissioned to do four photo essays with us, and they said this is the hardest project that they've ever had to work on in terms of trying to get... Uh, subjects to talk to them.
1: Here's my question: Are you finding that with all of these interviews, there's there's kind of like one common theme, or one common story, or one common kind of like their own, you know, origin story, or how they how they found themselves and the circumstances that they found themselves?
0: No, there, there isn't a single story. The reality is that we as a society have failed most important tenets. Uh, As an organization, as CoLab Arts, but also as individuals, and that we are only as strong as our most vulnerable. uh, And we uh, have failed as a system to make sure that that is in place. And so you have individuals who are um, victims of childhood trauma, uh, who are undocumented immigrants, who had businesses that were the, that sort of were lost because of massive recession and natural disaster, specifically 2008, 2009, and then Hurricane Sandy. We just are not positioned uh, as a society to get in front uh, of disaster. And, and for this group, they're always, uh, the Alice folks are defined as being a paycheck away from disaster. So if your car breaks down or if you break a leg, um, that money that was already apportioned for some huge budget item suddenly is diverted to uh, averting disaster and you can't make uh, you can't make your bill payments because you need to respond to what's in front of you.
1: Speaking, I mean that's that's kind of a that segue of only as strong as our most vulnerable. I think you you did speak with some some folks who do represent the most vulnerable in our communities.
0: Yeah, um, Colab Arts is working right now with uh, Elijah's Promise. Um, we'll, we'll talk a, a lot more about them uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, but they're an incredibly important member of our New Brunswick community where we live and work. And uh, we've had the privilege to work with them on the Nielsen Street Project, which is a series of oral histories uh, focused on clients, uh, specifically homeless clients, uh, here in New Brunswick. Uh, and so the, the second voice, or her name's Katura. Um, she is, uh, I think, an important voice to hear because her experience is not permanent, her experience is uh, respondent to circumstances, but she also is incredibly proud of what she has and who she is. And I, th- I really wanted to share... Um, some of that resilience with uh with you all now
4: oh did i tell you i'm a grandma i'm, I'm a oh he calls me super grandma yeah i'm a grandma my, my oldest son has has a son now who is the same age as my twins um so i told my aunt, i said well we might as well go by so i can see my grandson and my son and my nana we could stop out here stopped out here that night, I let my son use my truck. He brought my truck back. My truck was smoking. I don't know what the hell that boy did with my my car, but... And I've been stuck since. But I want to... I don't know. I, I just want to go. I just want to go. But I want my truck. So I'm trying to wait until... Because I'm about to do my income tax. And I got a nice chunk coming back to me. So I'm trying to work that out. So I could just pay for everything at one shot when I get the truck out. I don't want to leave it because the truck is in my... It's, it's mine. It's bought for. It's paid off. It's mine. I don't... I don't. it's my first car I ever had. I've never had a car. You know, I worked hard for this. And um, that's why I was so angry at him because I'm like, well, what happened? You know? Because um, the truck was fine. Anyway, so this is what... And I just kind of stuck out. I just kind of got stuck out here and stayed out here. Uh, my aunt went back. Somebody came and picked my aunt up, and she took the twins back with her. So that's it. And I ain't been down here in years. Elijah's promise. I ain't been in New Brunswick in four years, until just recently. I haven't been out here for four years. And this morning when I got up, I was, I was at this guy. Just this, this guy that I know. Um, he he let people come stay late sometimes, like, if you leave, so he's that type of person, you know, because I've known him for so many years, you all all right, go ahead and go crash, and he'll go in there with his his mom, and watch her, because his mom's older, so he usually, like, sleeps, like, in a chair while his mom lays down, and he, you know, so I was just, like, you know, I don't eat their food or anything, like, kind of just, I would go out and go get my own, so I just... Like you know, I'm gonna go to the soup kitchen today.
1: Okay, so Dan, so we're hearing these stories, and we're we're getting this information about um, these vulnerable communities, um, specifically impacted by economic vulnerability. So, I guess my question is kind of taking off of. Kotura's sense of of hope and resiliency, like what do we do now? Like how do we how can we be more effective in generally representing or specifically representing, I should say, this community?
0: Well, I think my, my biggest takeaway fr- from all of this work is that we have to be intentional about intentional uh, about uh, lifting up uh, stories of hope, stories of success, um, specifically, uh, making sure that we reference um, our local communities pretty consistently and avoiding generalizations and, again, just eyeball-grabbing uh, journalism and storytelling. Uh, and I know we as an organization do that well, um, but but typically speaking, I, I, I mean, we are not the individuals that people are turning to for rapid consumption and rapid information. Um, and so talking about Journalism generally, uh, I really needed to turn to Mike Raspoli. I mentioned earlier he's one of the partners on 37 Voices, but he's also one of the most effective and brilliant people I know when it comes to understanding the ecosystem for information distribution in our local communities and neighborhoods.
5: I'm Mike Raspoli. I work for the nonprofit organization Free Press that fights for a more just and equitable media system And I am the director of our local news program, News Voices. Uh,
0: So Mike and I talked uh, about a couple of things. We started with talking about problems with local journalism during the pandemic, Um, the first of which is racism. Uh, And Mike gave uh, examples of photos of Asian individuals uh, being linked to articles about the coronavirus. Um, We talked about the absence of context when providing statistical modeling and updates. Uh, and then we also talked about the absence of stories that respond to the needs of local community members.
5: We are disproportionately seeing how the coronavirus is affecting communities of color. Uh, 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 the black community is is, um, is is dying at alarming rates. Um, immigrant communities are hardest hit uh, with the shelter at home orders. And so... Um, we we don't need to just point out that this is happening, but we also need to be telling the stories about how people are are surviving right now, and and offer uh, realistic portraits of that resiliency, and also reporting more on on the hope and the really good work that that are happening uh, at, at the community level as well.
0: Mike and I also talked about uh, direct impact on journalists. Um, He, of course, made reference to the structural crisis in America regarding local journalism, where for the last decade, newsrooms have just been evaporating. And now at a time when we really need uh, news the most, journalists that are available are underpaid and are under-resourced, and uh, they have to put themselves directly in harm's way to effectively do their jobs.
5: Access to... You know, credible, timely, and trustworthy information can be the matter of or is a matter of life and death right now. And the fewer journalists that we have in communities covering what's happening, the more at risk it puts our our, our neighbors and our families and friends, uh, the more likely it will be that mis and disinformation were, will proliferate in that vacuum. And um, what is scary is that, um, yes, journalists are very vulnerable right now when it comes to, um, you know, their pay and their employment, but they're also vulnerable because their jobs are out in the communities right now. They're, they're covering hospitals, they're covering, um, you know, press briefings. They are, um, especially photographers, where photographers, they can't do their job from a desk at their home. They have to be out in the world right now. And so um, journalists' health are at risk. Their jobs are at risk. And this is all coming at a time where we need their work more than ever.
0: Uh, I mean, after listening to to, to Mike's comments um, on this, I think it's important to reference that the state of New Jersey um, actually recognizes journalists as essential workers. Uh, and I'm just going to read this quote uh, from uh, Governor Phil Murphy's executive order 107, uh, which shut down the state essentially. Uh, this is item 19 that nothing in this order shall be construed to limit, prohibit, or restrict in any way the operations of newspapers, television, radio, and other media services. Mike also shared uh some information after our interview uh, and I'll share the link in the comments for the for the uh, podcast episode but the Center for Cooperative Media uh, actually has uh, a grant available for journalists uh, who are covering uh, COVID-19 uh, you just need to apply and uh, I think it's about $1,000 uh, to uh, produce a couple of stories uh, directly through the center
1: I feel as if this is our our launching endpoint to chapter 4 which is the art so let's be honest let's talk about how difficult this question has been for this project in a lot of ways in some ways it actually began with an artistic process because it as you mentioned at the top it began with like you know a creative event that was uh, being put together by uh, first Reformed church um, back a few years ago but in a lot of ways it's such a huge conversation and a huge problem like how do you synthesize all of this into an artistic event
0: We've been working on this project for a long time, for almost four years now, and uh, I've been developing ideas on the storytelling through uh, writing monologues uh, based on a number of the interviews. And uh, there have been a, a several events where we've been asked to provide a voice that responds directly to the event, including homelessness, uh, immigrant experience, um. Uh, specifically, uh, older individuals who have lost businesses, uh, and I'm trying to use that uh, writing experience to inform um, the documentary verbatim uh, style that we're going to be using for the larger play that will hopefully come at the end of this process at some point when we're all uh, able to go back to a studio together and make work.
1: I mean, I would say you know I, I've 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 been obviously part of this thread of work, um, but this has been one of those things where we've learned so much about how to take these kinds of stories and create some sort of content. And one of the first things that you realized pretty early on was that you needed some way to share the content virtually um, and share the content online. So that kind of like inspired the first, first level of the website. So what's the website?
0: Yeah, when we started, we started the process for this project, um, we knew we were going to want to share the interviews publicly outside of the storytelling. uh, But we didn't realize until we were already in the process, already funded um, the the need for our advocacy partners to have direct access to the stories as anecdotal evidence and support of the research and advocacy they were already doing, meaning we needed uh, as storytellers to be able to take the transcripts and connect them directly to primary source research to understand the context. Um, And so we we ended up creating this pilot website where we're not only providing transcripts, podcasts of the audio, but also annotating fully researched uh, documents that, connect the stories of the individuals to the larger world around them. And we're hoping that uh, through this process, through developing such a robust archive, that uh, the art is served through uh, robust research and uh, potentially bringing lots of stakeholders to the table through its use, uh, but also providing um, our storytelling experience uh, in an impactful and an immediate way to the advocacy at large.
1: Awesome. So when's the date?
0: We have one in mind. Uh, it's going to be happening uh, next season. So uh, keep your keep your eyes open and your ears open. Is that an expression? Keep, keep stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, and and there'll be more information soon.
1: Stay tuned works. I like stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's a lot, Dan. That's a really big project. a lot and uh, um, we've tried to do it justice in this in this brief amount of time so what do we do next where where can we send people we can send them to the 37 voices website we can tell them to look out for the final performance piece that is coming up um, sometime uh, mid uh, 2021 and also connect with the project partners um, folks like united way of northern new jersey and free press um, and who are doing this work on the ground every day?
0: What, what I would say uh, is this is um, not a normal time. Uh, and I think part of what we need to collectively ask ourselves and our community is to come up with not normal answers. Um, and I think there's going to be a really strong community memory after all this is over in terms of, what we were able to do to step forward and make sure that no one gets left behind.
1: I would say the other thing we can all do is keep our eyes and ears open during this next election cycle. Let's listen to um let's listen to the stories from the people who this economy maybe doesn't work for them, right? And what does it mean to create an economy that works for everyone? I really like that, John. Thanks, Dan. <sighs> wow. So there we are. Um, I, we've spent this time together, uh, me in my little fort and you in your less messy office. Um, <laughs> Big and, changes. <laughs> and we realize, you know, when we, when we do projects like this, how there is no way um, that we can do any of this alone and that we have um, tons of people to thank. So let's get to thanking some people.
0: Collab Arts uh, just started a new Patreon, uh, directly supporting our collaborating artists. Uh, We talked a lot tonight about those who are most economically vulnerable, and uh, those in the creative fields uh, very much depend upon freelance labor. uh, And without being able to assemble, uh, without being able to uh, come together, a lot of that creative work is uh, is suffering. So we. Very much want to thank uh, our newest patrons and encourage all of you. If you like this podcast, if you are, if you like our other virtual programming, please join at a level that's meaningful for you. patreoncom uh, patreon.com slash collab arts. Uh, becoming a member there does give you access to uh, group workshops, one on one workshops, original content, blooper reels of this podcast. So uh, don't d- don't delay. Become a Patreon today.
1: Oh, did you work on that?
0: That's cute. That was extemporaneous. It's not always, but that was.
1: So upcoming schedule of programs. Jed Cato is hosting a live story creation uh, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on Facebook.
0: Uh, Dusty Ballard is hosting uh, a guest storyteller every Friday night at 7 p.m. on Instagram.
1: And you can check out all of their workshop videos on the Arts website.
0: That's uh, www.collab-arts.org.
1: And then, of course, we have to thank all of our project partners and project funders.
0: 37 Voices was made possible with support from the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation and the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation.
1: You can check out all of those interviews at www.37voices.com.
0: The Nielsen Street Project is funded by the Middlesex County Office of Arts and History and the Middlesex County Board of Chosen Freeholders.
1: And then, of course, we have to thank our podcast content research help, including
0: Debbie Galant, journalist who interviewed uh, Ms. Catherine Verducci.
1: The New Jersey Policy Perspective for Transcription Annotation.
0: Catherine Verducci and Keturah Williams, our oral history narrators.
1: Carol DeGraw and Stephanie Hoops of the United Way of Northern New Jersey. And thanks again and overall and as always and forever to the Geraldine Dodge Foundation, who supports local journalism, government transparency initiatives, and creative community outreach efforts to educate and engage the public.
0: And as always and always will be, we we'll leave you with the maestro, Dave Seaman, play us out.
1: Bring it back, for-